So we have prayer warriors in our midst who are not aware that they are prayer warriors. The challenge she took of her to pray for me. You know? So let's exercise. You never know you could be the prayer warrior that, uh, that is hiding. Amen. Uh, it's a joy to be here this particular. Is it evening or afternoon? Those who know some English. Evening, afternoon. Those things confuse me. I must be honest. I don't know when afternoon ends, when evening starts, but somewhere, one of the two. So good evening, good afternoon. Uh, this particular afternoon, we are talking about growing bigger through evangelism. Let's pray even as we dash into this scripture. We acknowledge your presence in our midst. Precious Lord, we acknowledge it's your word that we are bound to. And so Lord, I pray that uh, you give us clarity even as we share in your word. Let your Holy Spirit minister to each and every one of us. Lord, you have a lesson for each and every one of us. I'm totally convinced you have a word for each and every one of us. I pray that we will not miss out on that. And Lord, that even as we hear, Lord, we will not just be hearers, but we will take to heart what we hear and be doers of your word. Holy Spirit, will you saturate our hearts? Will you saturate our minds? Will you saturate our inner selves? We desire to be transformed more into the likeness of Christ. We desire to grow deeper in the fellowship with you, O Holy Spirit. And we desire to bring glory to you, God the Father. So, Lord, as a vessel, I yield to you and ask that you'll use me. Even for the saints gathered here, physically, and those that are online, Lord, I pray that you quieten any other voice, that only your voice will be heard. Lord, we acknowledge you are our Lord and our God. So speak, Lord. Your servants are hearing to the glory of your name through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Growing bigger through evangelism. As uh, Aine was reminding us, the theme for this year is United for for what? For service and growth. So part of the focus of this past few weeks has been the growth aspect. And this particular evening we'll be talking about growing bigger through evangelism. And the main text is that Acts 8, 1 through 8. But just walk with me through Acts. Acts 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Uh, walk with me to Luke 1. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Luke launches out to write an orderly account of things that happened. And he says, he writes that orderly account that this man may believe, that the reader may believe. And so now as he's starting out 
on Acts, he tells Theophilus, you remember what I wrote about. Now he continues with a very orderly account. And in verse 7 of Acts 1, actually I will start with verse 6 of chapter 1. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates. The Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So in this second book, Luke puts out an orderly account. And the summary is in that portion in verse 8. We see that account of how under the power of the Holy Spirit, the gospel moves to Jerusalem Judea, Samaria, then to the ends of the earth. So as we talk about growing bigger through evangelism, let's examine that briefly as we come towards Acts chapter 8. That as Jesus leaves the earth, in John 17, he makes a prayer. He says, I have completed the work you gave me. He says, I have brought you glory by completing the work that you gave me. Yet interestingly, at that point, the number of believers is about 120. Was he successful, honestly? If his plan was to save the world and he has 120 people to show Yet he's confidently telling the father, I have completed the work. Yet when the angel comes to Mary, the angel is clear. This one that you're bearing will save people from their sins. But at that point, there are only 120. Bigger than the youth, sorry, smaller than the youth ministry here. A man who had a world mission. But he confidently says, I have completed the work. I have brought you glory. And so now, he says, I have this that actually I have spared. I have prepared. And it is to this that he says, wait. Through you, that work which I'm talking about, the completed work, it's going to really be revealed as complete. And he says, you receive power. Not power to pause. Not power to make a name. Not power to wow people. But he says, power to be my witnesses. Power to make me known. Power to help men come out of the dungeons. Power to help men come out of their chains. Power to show them redemption. You'll be my witnesses. You witness to the fact that I, the Savior, is in their midst. You witness to the fact that actually salvation has come. You witness to the fact that God is reconciling the world to himself in Christ. And he says, first in Jerusalem. In that place. where Israel gathered to worship, but also in that place where I have been rejected, in that place where I have been unfairly sentenced to death, you will be my witnesses there. Then you move on to Judea, those neighboring towns, those neighboring villages, those places that are seemingly just there. Then you move on to Samaria, those pla that place of hostility. That place where you think you shouldn't go. Then you move to the ends of the earth. Those places where there is no limit. Everywhere. 
And so friends, if I'm to summarize this book of Acts, I'll say it's basically the story of how evangelism was done. It's a story of how the gospel spread right from Jerusalem, moving on to those areas up to where we are today. Actually, when you read Acts, the last, the last bit, take note, the last bit of Acts, Acts 20 what? Acts 28, verse 30. For two years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus. What an ending. Do you feel the ending? Does it end well? But that is the ending. The ending would have been maybe I salute so and so. Maybe the grace of our Lord be with you. But it ends hanging. Because the story continues. That we are still writing. We are still part of the story of Acts. As the gospel comes to this nation, dark as it was, at the end of the 19th century, the story is still a continuation. As the gospel comes to your village, to your school, it is still a continuation. As the gospel reaches you particularly, it is still a continuation. There is a witness to the fact that Jesus saves. And so you are part, I am a part of this big story that God has been writing. So through the power of the Holy Spirit, the disciples become witnesses. There would be witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And in Acts chapter 2, at Pentecost, full of the Spirit, we see Peter evangelizing to the masses. And about 3,000 are added to their number that day. Take note in Jerusalem. That when Jesus says, I have completed the work you gave me, he is sure. I have these men that I have empowered and they will continue with my work. And indeed, empowered by the Holy Spirit, on one occasion, Peter preaches and 3,000 men come to the Lord. But I want you to take note. As Peter is preaching, he's not just throwing words here and there. Luke records for us clearly. Peter is basically explaining, witnessing to these people what is happening. He's immersed in the word of God as he explains the occurrences. But as he does that, Peter goes on ahead to pose a challenge. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promises for you and your children and all who are far off for whom the Lord our God will call. That as Jesus sends them out to be witnesses, he sends them out with his word. He sends them out with the Holy Spirit. He sends them out with his very, very presence. That together they will use those resources to draw men to himself. That as they explain, as they witness, as they basically speak things as they are, that power is enough to draw men to himself. Peter doesn't use a lot of, you know, in Uganda, we call them bujogori. How can I say in English? He basically explains the word. He basically tells them, this is what is written. And that cuts them to the core. That cuts them. And so Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. If they call me to court today, mm -hmm, you were in the 3 p.m. service as a witness, give us an account. Maybe one of you has been taken before court and there is something. I will indeed give what I saw. 
I'll just say came in, a gentleman and a lady were holding microphones singing. After singing, a lady came and prayed. After praying, another lady came. She invited someone to give a what? A testimony. That testimony was about praying for someone, you know, and that someone got blessed. Then after, a gentleman came and gave a reading. After reading, I came and I preached. I have basically witnessed. I have told the court what I saw, what I had. I cannot tell them, I think, no. You tell what you see, what you've seen, what you have had. That is the work of a witness. And that's what God is calling you and me to. What he says, you will be my witnesses. It is not something that we are going to, to pick from anywhere. He says, you will just witness to what you're hearing about me. You just witness to what you are seeing me do. You just witness to my work. I have work that I've done. I have redeemed mankind. I have paid the price. That is what I'm calling you to witness to. So even as you and me think through growing bigger through evangelism, there is a message. There is an event to which we are witnessing. There is a story to which we are witnessing. The story of God's redemption, the story of God's love, the story of God bringing men and women back to himself. That is what we are called to witness to. That is the whole idea of evangelism. It is not something that we are fetching far from anywhere. And God has given us a resource. He has given us his word. And that is basically what Peter is doing. And in Acts chapter 3, we see Peter and John coming to that gate, the gate called Beautiful, by the temple, meeting this crippled beggar. And of course, through power evangelism, we see them utilizing the opportunity to witness for Christ to their own lookers. Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we have made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers has glorified his servant, Jesus. And they go on to witness they don't just say, ah, you guys, you don't joke with us. First, we have the power of God. Don't joke with us. We, we, we were anointed at Pentecost. No. They move on to focus on this Jesus. That's what God is calling you and me to. That even amidst the happenings, power evangelism, that we will show people Jesus. They witness to their onlookers about the Christ. And friends, that is what we are called to do. Then in chapter 4, this, of course, did go well with the people of the time, with the leaders of the time, the Sanhedrin. Verse 4. Verse 4 of chapter 4. But many who had the message believed and the number of men grew to about five thousand. So you see at this point utilizing every opportunity they are basically witnessing, they are basically telling the facts as they are and explaining the facts against the word of God and that alone breaks the hearts of men, that alone draws men to ask questions and at this point we see the number growing to about 5,000. Simply put, more 2,000 people are added to the number. The church is growing stronger from 120 to 3,000 now to 5,000. I want to make a few observations at that point. One, there is uncompromising evangelism. They are not living, you know, they're not giving chance. They're not wasting any opportunity. Each opportunity as they stand before the Sanhedrin, they are witnessing. As the onlookers are asking, what has happened to this man? 
they utilize that opportunity. And friends, when Jesus says, you will be my witnesses, he says, wherever you are, wherever you are, you don't need to wait for this pulpit. You don't need to wait for that crusade. You don't need to wait for that mission engagement. You don't need to wait for that service. You don't need to wait for that, you know, sale outreach, youth outreach, with utilizing every opportunity. Many people ask us here and there, you know, I admire your life. That's why an opportunity to do what? To witness. How have you navigated through this? An opportunity to witness. So there is uncompromising evangelism. Two, Jesus is at the center of this whole thing. Look at Peter and John's preaching. When people are asking, they point them very fast to Jesus. These people are not drunk and they go on to explain and they are pointing men to Jesus. You know, you rejected Jesus. You know, this descendant of Abraham, Isaac, Jesus, 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 Jesus is the center. The Christ, the Savior, the one who redeems mankind. So when we are called as witnesses, friends, that we are going to saturate the world, we are going to saturate, you know, wherever we are with the Savior's message. That people will, will be tired of hearing. But again, they will have nothing to do but to allow the conviction to seep deep at the core. Three, the Holy Spirit is empowering them. They're not doing this in their own strength. They are drawing from the resource that God has given the Holy Spirit. And as such, they are bold. They are immovable. Even if you're the leaders. Verse 13 of chapter 4. When they saw the courage of Peter and John. Can you imagine? And realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. The Holy Spirit empowered them. Ordinary, unschooled men. But they had been with Jesus. Jesus was their, the center. They drew from Jesus. They drew from his spirit. And as such, they were bold. Four, they clearly called people to repent and turn to Christ. In our witness, friends, it shouldn't just remain hanging. We must bring the challenge to people. We must throw the challenge to people. Otherwise, our witness is not full. It's not effective if we just leave it hanging. Someone once said, you don't need to bother people. Simply live a good life. No. No. As you live that good life, there should be a challenge you're throwing to people. Peter, John, clearly show us that. 2.40. 2.40. With many words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. We must persuade men. If we are going to be effective in our evangelism, it's not just enough to tell people about this story. It's not enough for them to, to just hear the salvation story. No, it must end with a challenge. It must end persuading men to Christ. And this is what they do consistently throughout. They challenge men. In Fortwell of salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. We must challenge men. We must challenge everyone that they cannot do anything unless they come to faith in Jesus Christ. So our evangelism must have a clear 
call. So don't just say, ah, my neighbors are watching me. They're watching me. I give them food. I help them. They may just praise you at the end of the day. Hallelujah. <laughs> Our neighbor is very good. They may even turn you into a humanitarian guy. That guy. You get it. Eh? You are Red Cross. You are which are the, those, those organizations that help people here and there. But we must come to that point of challenging people that salvation is found in no one else. We must challenge them that unless they are in Christ, they are dead. Unless God forgives their sin, they are doomed for hell. We must put that clearly as we end our evangelism. So we must persuade men. The Bible says, since we know what it means to fear the Lord, we persuade men. And in Jude it says, for some, you know, even show them fear. For some, you must bring them to that point where actually they see the plight of their sin. They see that unless they come to Christ, they are doomed. To see that they are already dead if they are separated from God. So there must be a persuasion, my dear brothers and sisters. And the last point I'm making, the church prayed. The church prayed. Not selfishly, but for the advancement of the gospel. Take note, in chapter 4, verse 23 downwards, when they hear of the threats, Peter and John are before the Sanhedrin, the church prays. Not just for self-advancement, to be more wealthy, no. The church prayed for the advancement of the gospel. How much of our prayer is immersed in the advancement of the gospel? How much of your prayer life is immersed in the advancement of the gospel? How much time have you taken off to pray for missionaries on the frontier? How much time have you prayed for the non-believers? How much time have you prayed for the church to advance the gospel? I leave that for you. Even as we gather corporately, how much time do we devote to prayer into the advancement of the gospel? And that shows the oneness they had. The mission of Peter and John on the frontier was the mission of the rest that remained behind. So they remained praying. Lord, 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 why do the nations rage? They remained praying. So one of the ways to grow together to grow bigger in evangelism is to immerse ourselves into prayer. That we are not just praying for me to get a plot. We are not just praying for me to cruise the next car. We are not just praying for but that you are praying that Lord, these ones who are laboring, Lord, more grace, more energy, more of your spirit. Lord, let there be fruit that you are praying for the harvest. You are praying for the non-believers. Second, Corinthians 4, for they have been blinded by the evil man of this world that they cannot see the glory of the gospel of Christ that you are praying that Lord let that veil be taken off. We should immerse ourselves in that kind of prayer and in that we are sharing. I have a team that left for Karamoja yesterday night. I was not able to go with it but I'm praying this morning as I woke up I prayed. Lord, as they spend this week in Kabong, Lord, use them. Eight of them. Lord, use them. We are one. Much as I'm not in Kabong, I'm one with them because we are praying. Ask yourself, <laughs> when did I last pray for the advancement of the gospel? Some people are smiling. <laughs> what did you pray for this morning? of the oneness in advancing this gospel is that you are praying. And I want to encourage you effective to pray for the advancement of the gospel. When you see what you see in your church, how do you pray? When you see what you see in this nation, how do you pray? 
When you see what you see in your workplace, how do you pray? Amid the falsehood around, pray for the right message. Pray for the deliverance. The Apostle Paul continuously asks the people, pray for us. Pray for us. As we advance this gospel, pray for us. Pray for those who are devoted to full-time advancement of this gospel. Pray for them. In that song, we are prone to wonder, friends. Pray for us that we will remain faithful. Pray for us that we will advance this gospel with boldness. Amid this increasing, you know, sexualism and all these things. Pray that we will remain faithful. Pray that our message will remain centered on what God's will is. Pray that we will be calling men to repentance. Pray that we will not be threatened by the forces that are at play. Pray that we will not succumb to the powers that will continue faithful. It's part of that oneness that this church had. They were not physical on the front, but they prayed for those on the front. So can I just interest you to just put it in your diary. It could be a day that you say, this day I'm devoting to praying for the advancement of the gospel. And so as you go through the week, take note, which things should I be praying for? The unreached communities. Even in this city. We started the chapel at the end of this July, down here at YWCA, focusing on the border, border people. But I'm, I'm being shocked at the shape it is taking. We have many unreached people in this city. I'm being shocked. Even this morning, as we finished the service, we sat with the few guys that were with and were saying, God, where are you taking us? As we launched out, our focus was on the border, border people, but we are being shocked. Children on the street are coming. They have not heard of the gospel. This morning, three Muslims came to the Lord. Three, one, two, three. And one of them, one of our colleagues just met him on the way, asked him, where are you going? He said, Simanije Endaga. He was confused. He just, just walking, Simanije Endaga. And told him, life has had me rough, but I'm just walking. I told him, okay, let's go and pray up. And as he came, as he listened, the man came to Christ. Pray. Just this city. You don't need even to think about very many far places. Just this city. And as I finished, one man says, he comes and he tells me quite a number of things in this city. We think the gospel is saturated. It has not. There are many, many people who are in need of this gospel. Will you pray? Will you pray? Will you pray? Will you pray? Then we see in Acts chapter 4 towards the end, they share their belongings. And this unit enhanced the proclamation of the gospel, 432. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them. And so they shared their belongings, and this enhanced the proclamation of the gospel because there was no need. Each need was met. So as we finish this morning, one of the young boys tells me, I sleep on the streets here, but I want something to do. So I ask him, he has been consistent the past three weeks, he's been coming. He's like, I want to talk to you. So I give him space, we talk. He's like, actually, for now, every Sunday, I'm finding this place because there's something to eat. Because we give just a cup of tea. And he's like, but I'm tired of the street. I need something to do. 
So as in our conversation, I asked him, what can you do? He's like, maybe I can carry luggage in Nakasero Market and earn something. Then I asked him, what does it take? He had done his research very well. So he needs to register there. He gets the tower. What is the name of the tower? <laughs> that quote. So I asked him to, to, make the, to cut the long story short. So how much will that cost? A 20 plus a what? But in total, we came to 35,000 shillings. And told me, Reverend, if you can do that for us, you would have set us onto something. Part of the gospel. These guys shared their belongings. There was none in need. And maybe that is the God is calling you to participate in the gospel. That you will share your belongings. And that enhances. For some of us, 35,000 shillings, that is just lunch. But this is capital that someone is looking at to get off that what? That street. You could be the one that God is speaking to that you share your belongings. So that unity enhanced the proclamation of the gospel. Take note, 414. 414. This unity is enhancing growth in Jerusalem and now persecution comes in. But amid this persecution, they remain focused friends. Now as persecution takes another ground in verse, in chapter 7, we see Stephen witnessing to the Sanhedrin and is killed. He is killed. He loses his life. And that's where we have now the text that we are into. Chapter 8, Stephen is dead. Saul has, has given approval to his death. And that chapter 1 goes on to say, on that day a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. Now a great persecution breaks out. After they have witnessed to all the ordinary, the religious folk, the political class of the time, now, a great persecution arises. Guess what? God permits it. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. All, all the believers, the 5,000 plus are now scattered except the apostles. Only the 12 remain in Jerusalem. The rest are scattered. Jesus had told them, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. They have had enough time in Jerusalem. They are starting to rest a bit. It is business as usual. Now God, in his providence, he allows A persecution. And all are scattered. And I want us to, to focus on that word scattered. They don't run in one direction. They don't say, hey, what is so and so? We go one way, one way, one way. No. They are scattered. You know the meaning of scattered? They are scattered. I don't know which other word I can use. They are spread. Broadcasted. Not in one place. Judea. Samaria. Verse 2. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. Can you imagine? This man was being killed for blasphemy in quotes. But some men who are godly are still identifying with him. It is still part of the witness that we are going to make a statement. We may also lose our lives in the process, but we know there is a cause, a greater cause 
this man has died for and we want to identify with him. We want to continue as witnesses amidst the hostility, amidst the threat upon our lives. We are going to get his body and bury him. So they don't hide. They don't hide. They still identify with the cause of the gospel. That is part of witness. Some places friends are hostile. But God gives us his spirit. And his spirit will enable us to remain witnesses. It would be a threat to your job. It could be a threat to your status. It could be a threat to your promotion. But you must keep it up. Because God in his providence, he will keep you. And these men did the same. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house. He dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Can you imagine? So friends, it was not something easy. Some of us have been through persecution, but not to this level. I must confess, not to this level. But they still move. Listen to verse 4. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Hallelujah. As they scattered, they are not scattering in lament. They are not scattering to find safety per se. Yes, partly, but not, not fully to be comfortable. They scatter and wherever they went, they continued preaching the word. That God in his providence, he says, I'm going to allow this persecution for my own good. Because I called you to be witnesses for me in Jerusalem. The vehicle to take you beyond Jerusalem is simple. Without persecution, you guys are going to, to, to enjoy life here. So he allows. And as they are scattered, they continue preaching. There's something not written, which I presuppose. They were too convinced about this message. They were really taken up by this message. The gospel was part of them that nothing could take away the gospel. The environment could not take away the gospel. The gospel was entrenched into their hearts. Their hearts had the gospel imprinted on that even the persecution could not contain. Like Jeremiah who says, you know, your word is like a fire within me. I can't keep it. Even when I don't want to speak it, I find myself speaking about it. They had reached that level. The question for you and me, are we convinced about this gospel? Is it imprinted on our hearts? Is it at the core of our hearts? Is it part of our DNA? If that misses circumstances come and you have to scatter, will you remain faithful to the gospel? Will you be a witness when you are caught in that place where it's a taboo to speak about Jesus, where being a Christian is close to, to what? A crime, it's actually a crime. Will you remain a witness? So the point I'm making, they had so much loved Jesus. They had so much devoted themselves to the word of God as we read in chapter 2 that that informed their life wherever they went. Even when they're away from Jerusalem into this pagan Samaria, into the pagan towns of Judea, they are still preaching the word. It is a sad story, but I have friends who were on fire for Jesus. More fire, demon chasing, fire spitting, tongue speaking. But when they went to this community, which was called for the gospel, actually for them they called ice. I have one particular one. One particular one. To a point now he's an atheist. But man, the guy could pray. The guy could speak tongues. The guy could, you know, 
if you wanted someone to tell you about God, that was the guy. So the question I asked myself, was it really within? Was the gospel at the core? So friend, are you growing in the word? That's the question I'm, 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 I'm making. Are you growing in the word? In the times of peace, friends, let's grow in the word. While we are still in Jerusalem, let's grow in the word. Let's come to this place where our convictions are truly based on the gospel. Let's be convinced about this message. And this is the time. Otherwise, when you are scattered, can you continue? But these guys, when they were scattered, they preached the word. Listen, wherever, underline wherever, wherever they went. And remember the words of Paul to Timothy, preach the word in season and out of season. Luke presents an orderly account. Luke is careful with the words he uses. They preached the word. Peter explains using the word. When we're talking about growing together in evangelism, friends, we cannot divorce it from a commitment to the word of God. We have nothing to preach. I personally have nothing to preach. I have nothing to preach except the word of God. I read food science. I cannot preach to you food science. I can't. It can't save you. It can't save you. Some people have labored with me. Use the pulpit to teach nutrition. I, I can do that elsewhere. I can. Even if your nutrition, your, 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 your nutrition is good without Christ, you're going to die still. Okay, even if you observe good nutrition, still you will die. Now if you die in your sins, problems. The obese guy who has Jesus will die well. The guy who is fit, who dies without Jesus, dies miserably. So I will focus on Jesus. So the question is, what is your commitment to the word of God? It's a question. What is your commitment to the word of God? They preached the word wherever they went. They didn't just tell Warokoso. They didn't just tell their stories. They didn't say when I was here, I did this. Uh -uh. They didn't just say, you know, you see me, I'm not an easy man. Don't joke with me, I'm not a joking subject. They didn't do that. They preached the word wherever they went. And that is the call for evangelism. Because the word of God is fire. The word of God is a lamp. The word of God is living. The word of God is active. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It cuts, you know, separating bone and marrow. The word of God judges the intents and desires of men's hearts. And so, as Peter explains the word of God, in chapter 2, in chapter 4, it is the word of God that cuts them to the core. Nothing else. Even if I tell you, I did this, I did this, that, that counts to nothing. Actually, if your faith is built on my experiences, I've done you a disservice. Because my experiences cannot save you. But the word of God. He says all scripture is inspired. It is breathed by God. It's profitable for teaching, for correcting, for training you in righteousness so that you'll be qualified. So these men preached the word wherever they went. So the question I leave with us, what is your commitment? What is my commitment to God's word? Because all these studies, if we're going to grow bigger in evangelism, actually a church that is low in the word, it is low in its evangelistic zeal. And when we are growing cold in our evangelistic zeal, we should be asking ourselves, are we really focusing on the word of God? If we want to kill this youth ministry, let's drift away from the word of God. If we want to kill this cathedral, let us drift away from the word of God. It's a matter of time. Research is clear. Churches that drifted away from the word of God 
however good they were, however endowed they were financially, they have died. Because it's the word that actually activates the evangelistic zeal in us. And as the evangelistic zeal is activated, we are reaching out. And as we are reaching out, we are growing. As we are scattering, we are growing even in, in our scattered states. Even whenever we are scattered, we are growing because we are preaching the word, that word that brings life, that word that turns a sinner, that turn that brings a rebel back to God. So they preached the word wherever they went. Remember Jesus' commission in Matthew 28, verse 19? Therefore, go and make disciples. But that therefore go, it has a rendering of continuous. As you go, as you go, as you go, as you go, make disciples. Now here, wherever they went, they preached the word of God. So the point I'm seeing in that, friends, they didn't go to hide. Friends, they went to nearby towns. They didn't go very far. From Jerusalem, they went to Judea. Those were just, you know, neighbors. They went to Samaria. So still, it was easy for Saul and the company to come and find them. But they went to the next. Because they were mission. They didn't go to hide. And then to encourage someone here, maybe you're giving up. Maybe you feel like hiding. You've witnessed to that family and it is like persecution. Don't give up. Preach the word. So persecution should not drive us off witnessing for Christ. But we should see it as God's providence to evangelize elsewhere. You know, times when we get too comfortable, God brings about something to cause us to move, to move, <laughs> to move. So can I make a comment here? The challenge with today's church, we are too quick to bring in the devil. That is the challenge with today's church. If this church maybe had been our church, they would have held an overnight chasing the devil of persecution. Binding the devil of persecution. They saw persecution as God's tool. So let's not be fast friends to bring in the devil. Certain things may arise and God is using them for you to move to the next ground for his witness. Maybe you've been in this job and God has used you. <laughs> and God is like, I want you to go and witness elsewhere. And things come, things are not adding up. And you're busy, busy binding the devil. And God is saying, bind, bind, I'm waiting for you. I want you in another station. So let's be careful. What is God saying? What is God saying? Some of you, God wants you to move to the next. You've witnessed on this hill for long. <laughs> now you need to move to the next. And so God brings about certain things that, I would use persecution in quotes. And God is saying, move to the next you see, all the doors seem to be closing. All, all opportunities seem to be closing. Because God says, you have done your part. Now, move on. So, let our ears be very, very open to what God is doing. The apostles remained in Jerusalem. The rest were scattered. Why did they remain in Jerusalem? They remained one to continue. Encouraging the churches there. And that still was in God's providence. But also to help out in the churches on the new frontiers, as you see in Acts 11, 19 to 24, they would now send as they hear reports. So what the enemy intends for bad, God works for good. This persecution worked for kingdom advancement. They scattered to find more work. And we say man like Philip who goes on to Samaria. And so as I come to a close friend's, at times, the scattering may not be because of persecution. At times. But it could be because of certain issues about our lives. 
Maybe you're looking for green pastures, greener pastures, education, and you are scattered somehow away from the fellowship of believers. You go to Kuwait. You go to Arabia. You go to, you know those countries, Sudan. Those countries where the gospel is not something that you just come, you know. Iraq. Maybe someone is here online but is scattered in those places. I want to encourage you. Whatever God has scattered you, preach the word. You've been scattered there on assignment. The education you went to look for is just a vehicle. The greener pastures you went to look for are just a vehicle. For some of you, you're scattered in some of those hard offices. You're asking yourself, ah, how does one survive with their faith here? Yes. The Bible says you are the light of the world. A city lit on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do men light a lamp and put it under a bowel. So you are the light. You are the light. Don't run away. Don't run away. You are the light. God has scattered you there for kingdom business that you preach his word. So friends, our fellowship should encourage us so that as we gather, each part should be involved in preaching the word wherever we go. So think about your workplace. Think about your business. Think about your school. Think about your community. God has scattered us there for a purpose to preach the word. So this fellowship should spur us more and more and as we scatter through the week, we are preaching the word. So we are going to preference. I want us to stand up. And I have just three prayer points for us this particular evening. Let's pray for a renewed zeal for evangelism. Of course, as we think about the renewed zeal for evangelism, it starts from a renewed zeal for God's word. That's going to be a personal as well as a corporate prayer. Two, Let's pray that we will preach God's word everywhere as we scatter in the week. Some of you it's school, some of you it's businesses, some of you it's work, some of you it's ministry. So wherever God scatters us in the week, let's pray that we will preach God's word everywhere. And lastly, let's pray for the persecuted church. Let's pray for the persecuted church. And today I'm going to make it in style. Those are three points. If you feel touched to lead us in one of those points, just come. Pray. We agree with you. You go. Another person comes. We are praying for renewed zeal for evangelism. We are, preach, we are praying that, God, that we will preach God's word everywhere as we scatter in the week. And then we'll be praying for the persecuted church. So as we individually pray, we'll request anyone in the congregation, if you feel you want to pray in that line, corporately as we pray, just come, just get any of those items and lead us as we pray. We will be agreeing with you. So we can start praying. Pray for renewed zeal for evangelism. Just for yourself, but also for us as a body, for us as a service. Just pray for renewed zeal, that God will renew our zeal. And that comes from a place of commitment to his word. Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus that you give us a commitment to your word as the apostles and the early church was. Maybe some of us have grown cold in reading your word. Maybe our quiet time has been lacking. Lord, take us back to that place. Take us back to that place. And as you do it, Lord, renew our zeal for evangelism. That microphone is available for anyone who wants to join us in prayer that will agree with you corporately. As the rest continue to pray. Pray that God will enable you to preach his word everywhere as you scatter in the week. Pray for that workplace. Pray for that workplace. Pray for that class. Pray for the persecuted church that they will be encouraged in God.
Heavenly Father, thank you for the sermon. Thank you for reminding us of the oneness of the church. Thank you for reminding us of the call on each and every one of us to evangelize to God, to spread your word, to spread your word, to spread your gospel, to teach your word to each and every one that comes, that we come into contact with. Heavenly Father, I pray for the church that is being persecuted collectively, but also for the individuals that are being persecuted those that are in hard-to-reach places, oh God, where they have faced hardship in even just their day-to-day needs, their basic needs in terms of food, in terms of shelter, in terms of water. God, those that are spreading your word in places that are war-torn, I pray, Heavenly Father, that you will minister your grace to them. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you will minister your grace to them, that you will minister your peace to them, oh Lord. Father in heaven, encourage them. Encourage them in your word, O Lord, that they will remain steadfast, that they will remain faithful, O Lord, that they will not give up the cause, O Heavenly Father, that they will not cut corners for their own comfort, O God, but they will remain true and they will remain faithful, O Heavenly Father. I pray, my Master King, that you will empower their hands, that you will empower their feet, that you will empower their bodies, O God, that you will visit their speech, O Heavenly Father, that they will not speak out of their own authority, out of their own power, out of their own authority, O Lord, but Father, they shall speak on the authority that comes from your word, O Heavenly Father. I pray that you will give safe passage for those that need safe passage. I pray, my Master King, that you will give boldness to those that need boldness. I pray, my Master King, that you will provide resources for those that need resources, O God. I pray that each and every person that's attending church today, that feels led in one way or another to support the cause of evangelism through prayer, through resources, through giving of their time, my Master King, may we be faithful in doing that, O Heavenly Father. Lord, in heaven, many of us are also persecuted in the places that we live, in the places that we work, oh Lord. I pray, oh God, that we will remain faithful. We will remain faithful to you. That we will look for no other help, but we will look to you, our Savior and our King. You who has called us in purpose. You who has called us to the places that you've called us to, Lord. May we continue to walk in those places. May we continue to serve you in those places, oh God. Father in heaven, revive us all who are here, O God, that in our prayers, our prayers will not only be selfish, but our prayers will remember the communion of saints, that in our prayers we'll remember the communion of saints, O God, we will keep in fellowship with the larger body of Christ, O God, that we will keep in fellowship in prayer, O Lord, with the larger body of Christ, and that my master king, we will pray, we will pray without ceasing, we will pray with thanksgiving, and we will pray with hope. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, we continue to pray for this country. We pray for the fire of the gospel, that the gospel be preached. It will penetrate every sphere of influence in this country, my King of glory. We pray for every sphere of influence, Lord, that you send their people to preach the gospel. We pray that the gospel of Jesus will prosper, will flourish in this land in the name of Jesus. In every family, in every nation, in every office, in the name of Jesus. Father, King of glory, I declare no resistance, no persecution will hinder the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you, my master. We cover this nation with the blood of Jesus. We cover Africa with the blood of Jesus. In the name of just all the continents of the earth, in the name of Jesus, we cover them in the blood of Jesus. May the word of God flourish. May the word of God cover this entire globe. In the mighty name of Jesus, may you raise up men and women, my father, who will stand for the gospel, who will stand for the truth, who will stand for righteousness. In the name of Jesus, may the gospel of Jesus Christ bring light and drive away darkness. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray that the knowledge of God will fill the earth, will fill every office, will fill every family, will fill every home. In the mighty name of Jesus, let the word of God be at the center of everything, even in government. In the mighty name of Jesus, as they make decisions, they'll be informed 
informed by the word of God. In the mighty name of Jesus, we thank you, King of Glory. Raise up men, my King of Glory. Pour out the fire for the gospel. Pour out the fire of the, of the Holy Spirit. In the mighty name of Jesus, my Father. Let your Holy Spirit move in the name of Jesus. Father, let the earth be harvested for your name's sake, my Father. Let the souls come to you, my Father. Those whom the devil has bound in immorality, in the name of Jesus, in drunkenness, let them come out of that prison in the mighty name of Jesus. Every prison the enemy has bound people. We, re- we command it to be broken, to be broken loose in the name of Jesus. We thank you, my King of glory. We thank you for your sending out your angels, my Father. Let the spirit of righteousness, so may you convict the people, my Father, King of those who don't know you, of righteousness, sin, and judgment. In Jesus' name, we give you praise. Amen. Lord, we continue to commend our lives to you. Give us a renewed zeal for your word. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. 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 God bless you.